Uh, so I'm just setting up uh, our step ladder, nice and stable for me to climb up into the ceiling cavity. It'll take me a uh, few secs to extend it. So this is Brendan Young, lead assessor for All Clear, a property testing company. I'm following him under floors and into ceiling cavities in a South Auckland house as he works out if it's warm and dry enough to comply with the law. In 1956 it was built, four bedroom, two bathroom home. I'm Tom Kitchen and today on The Detail we're looking at healthy home standards. Four years on from their introduction, we're still hearing horror stories of substandard housing and cowboy landlords. There's one thing about this mould on the ceiling, it's growing real fast. Each breath I take, I can taste it. There's just mould seeping down ceilings everywhere and coming up from under the floors, and we want to leave. Almost feeling like I was keeping my baby in a health hazard. We've got a written report from a contractor saying there is no insulation. So, are the standards a flop? Or is the job of fixing up the huge amount of old and decrepit homes just too big? We'll carry on with a house tour soon. But first, senior business journalist Miriam Bell has been writing about property issues, including substandard homes for stuff. Well, there's five standards, basically. One is heating, one is insulation, one is ventilation... One is moisture ingress and drainage, and the other is draft. With heating, a landlord has to provide one or more heaters, which are fixed and not portable, that can heat the main living area. So, um, And no open fires are allowed, but heat pumps are sort of preferred, although they're not the only option. Then with insulation, you need to have ceiling and underfloor insulation where possible to a certain code level. Um, then the ventilation standards, kitchens and bathrooms must have extractor fans or sort of systems that extract moisture. And also you have to have openable windows in, in rooms in a house. I mean, some of them sound quite obvious you, and you would think places would have them, but they don't necessarily. Um, with moisture ingress and drainage, you need to have efficient drainage for stormwater, surface water, groundwater, and often if you have an enclosed subfloor space, you have to put in a ground moisture barrier. And then with draft, you can't have unreasonable gaps or holes in walls, ceilings, windows, etc., etc., which cause noticeable drafts and unused fireplaces or chimneys must be blocked up, closed up. So that's a very, very broad, basic summary. Okay, so now that we know that, let's go back to our South Auckland home to see how we go about ticking them off. Here's our assessor, Brendan, again, starting with insulation. Obviously, ceiling spaces is, is the main area of where we're going to check for our heating. And why? Because most of your heat is lost through your windows and your roof. If you don't have enough insulation in your ceiling cavity, then you're going to lose a lot of heat up through your ceiling and through the roof. Yeah. So that's going to be the, our first port of call when we're inside. We're going to check that insulation. So it's a matter of finding a ceiling cavity, so I'll have a look, quick look around and see if I can find one. What have we found, Brendan? So we just walk-in wardrobe. Um, shouldn't be too hard to get into. I'll just grab my ladder. All right. So obviously with our ceiling cavities, they're a little dark. So the idea is to have a handy torch. And headlamp's best because it leaves both of my hands free. All right. So we'll climb the ceiling hatch and we'll see what's up there. Immediately I can see that this uh, ceiling access space, although quite limited and low, it actually has really good insulation already installed. I can see by the type that it is, 
uh, it's polyester insulation and just my initial assessment straight away I can see that it's relatively thick so um, knowing what this insulation is like uh, generally anywhere over 120 millimeters this is going to meet the requirements for insulation for the standards my next step is to go up have a look in the ceiling ceiling space and take measurements of the insulation so um, I want to squeeze through a little ceiling hatch which is probably about 500 mil by 400 mil so they're not particularly large and the ceiling height the roof height is probably only about 500 mil itself so there's not a lot of room up here oh but wow I'll see if I can get up there and have a look. good luck yeah it doesn't look like I'm going too far it's pretty limited space up here uh, normally after this I would go around and, and photograph all the rooms and measure the rooms for ventilation and stuff like that. Or well, do you just want to take me around a couple of rooms and just give me an example of what you do there? Yeah, sure. Describe to me what you're doing. Trying to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to it's kick the journalist comment, out of so the way. Yeah. <laughs> normally what we do is um, we would photograph and measure each of the rooms themselves. And that involves basically just taking a quick snapshot, context photo of the room, uh, measuring the floor area of the room, all externally opening doors and windows uh, that you can open to the exterior to let fresh air in. Their combined total area has to be 5% of the floor area. Okay, so if we have a look around here um, in this particular room, um, we've got a big sunny... Sliding uh, door. Sliding door. Yep. Uh, a couple of couple of smaller openable windows and also an openable window on uh, a second wall. This would easily meet the ventilation requirements with this big sliding door. Do you have to check if the windows open at all? Uh, yes. Yep. So the windows have to open to the exterior. So, for example, uh, a glass pane on a sliding door, you have parts of it that don't open. We only count the openable areas, which will be the actual door itself and then the two windows. Uh, at the other end of the, of the framing. Can we just check that the window's open and it's all working? Yep. Right. Pretty easy, just open the window. It doesn't matter how, how wide it has to open, as long as it opens. And that's just to let fresh air into the room. We use a laser measurer because they're very, very accurate. And that will calculate the uh, floor area for me. Alright, what's our next step, Brendan? Uh, so next step after this, once we've got all the, um, the rooms measured up for ventilation, uh, including the main living area, uh, I'd check all the windows and doors for any draft stopping issues. Um, How would you do that? Uh, we have a, a special tool which I have in the car. Aluminium framed windows are, are quite renowned for gaps if you've got things like the latch pads missing off the window frame. Uh, or the aluminium frame itself is bent. So we can see just down here in the left hand corner of one of these windows there's quite a bit of a gap uh, and you can see that the window sits loose against the frame because the latch pad's missing. Uh, so we just use our uh, tape measure and just measure that gap to ensure that it's more than 3mm, which it is. It's close, probably close to 8mm in terms of a gap. That would require draft stopping remediation. So that, that's just installing some draft strips or, you know, they might need new sealants or they'd have to replace the latch pads for the, 
for the window to ensure that the window is closing properly. So that's not hellishly expensive? No, it? a couple of dollars I think they cost. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty cheap. Just a quick trip down to Bunnings, I think. Uh, you can buy draft strips there. I think they're about $10 for, for a, a packet, and I think they've got like 20 metres of, of draft strip or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the latch pads themselves for window framing, I think yeah, they're easy to come by, and they cost a couple of dollars each. Yeah, good, good. All right, what's the next step? After that would be the heating calculation. For a property of this age, with the type of insulation it has, I would expect the result sort of roughly around 6 kilowatts requirements for heating okay and then so that means that what what heating is needed uh anything that has either uh six kilowatts or more um that would be sufficient for heating so in terms of this property itself they've got a wood burner installed here uh that wood burner on average will spit out 10 kilowatts of heat depending on how much wood you're burning um so that would more than meet the requirements for for this particular property in the healthy homes cool What's your next step? Okay, so um, kitchens and bathrooms uh, under the Healthy Homes regulations um, both require an extraction fan or extraction system that's uh, drawing moist air to the exterior of the building. The, uh, the requirements are they cannot vent into a ceiling cavity or into another space, like such as another room or garage, has to be venting outdoors. So one thing that we would check if we're looking at the kitchen, that we have a cooktop, uh, and that we have an extraction system installed above that cooktop. Now that could be in the form of a range hood such as this one, or it could be a box fan in the window, or it could be a ceiling fan uh, in the ceiling. Uh, we have also seen ones that are mounted on bench tops and stuff like that. All of those are compliant systems as long as they vent to the exterior. So you just test them out, do you? Yep, we pretty much, we just come around, we turn it on, hopefully this one's working which it is. Um, so part of this while I'm in the ceiling cavity would be to check the ducting for this to ensure that the ducting's intact. While we've also got that on, um, we would do a smoke test uh, to check that the airflow is actually extracting to the exterior. And it's literally just lighting a smoke match uh, and watching the smoke uh, from the outside to make sure it's coming out the external vent. What I have here are smoke matches. It's literally just a match that's specially designed not to burn with flame. It just produces a, a whole lot of smoke. Uh, and all we do is we hold it underneath the ventilation system and we watch that smoke flow up through the ventilation system and hopefully it comes out at the uh, external vent. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get Adam to go and take a photo for me of the external vent. What did that look like? Adam? A lot of smoke going outside, which is good, so that's a positive test. All right, so that's um, looking at the fans. Uh, what else? Um, so outside. So what we're looking for outside, we're checking the drainage system. Now, the drainage systems for properties include, obviously, the spouting system, the downpipes that are on the house, but it also includes what we see on the topography of, of the property as well, or the, you know, the land that's around the house itself. So this one we're looking at, what, what's this, probably a, an acre section, half acre section. We have uh, a standalone garage that we don't assess for drainage, although having said that, uh, the spouting on that garage is pretty poor and we can see from the staining on the concrete that there's a lot of water de being deposited into this courtyard area. 
Now, without a drain in place, this area here is going to flood if there's a significant rainfall, and that is actually an issue as well. Why? Because most of this water is going to flow back in under the house, and that's going to create that damp atmosphere under the house, uh, which is what we don't want. So there has to be a drainage system, a suitable drainage system installed in this area here to remove that surface water away from the property. A little bit of grass in the corner there. Yeah, unfortunately for these guys it's only a small amount. The majority of the spoutings actually looks like it's relatively clear. Um, and you have a look under the house too, do you? Yeah, we do. We are, uh, sorry, I'll come down the ladder. Oh, I don't have to shout at you. <laughs> Yep, so under the house, uh, we, we go in there, we're checking for the moisture barrier, whether it's got one installed, uh, and subfloor insulation. One thing I am looking at before I enter here is this fibre cement board is, is likely, because of the age of the building, to have asbestos in it. Uh, and we can see some of these fibres in there. So that's, that's not good. a bit of a health and safety risk as well. Um, so it might not be the best location for me to poke my head into but I can probably poke my arm in there and see what's in there for sure, now sure. Uh, before I crawl in there. Pretty sure they've got uh, insulation in the subfloor. And what I can see just on my camera is that they've got nice, whoop, without dropping my phone, they've got uh, pretty good um, polyester insulation in the subfloor installed. And they've even got a certificate that says that the insulation will meet the standards. There you go. So this home gets a big tick for insulation and probably for ventilation, but works needed on draft stopping and some drainage work is definitely required before the landlord gets healthy homes approval. And that has to be done within 120 days of any new or renewed tenancy. Miriam Bell says part of the problem with meeting standards is that New Zealand has old housing stock. Houses that have been built I don't know, in the mid-century perhaps didn't, didn't have insulation in the way that we would think of being best practice now. And also um, New Zealand is sort of built with a, a kind of quite a weird settler mentality. So, you know, in, in Europe, for example, where it's traditionally colder, a lot of things are, that we would sort of look at as being desirable now but don't have like double glazing, for example, a common practice, whereas here that was never the case. So with all these problems, there was a bit of a push to do something politically, was there? Absolutely. The push towards the healthy home standards, I think it started about 10 years ago, I think, still twice, I think it was, initially introduced a bill into Parliament. It would have been about 10 years ago, and that sort of didn't get through. But then when Labour came into um, government in 2017, they, they progressed a version of that legislation quite quickly. So the bill went through in 2017, and then it became law in 2019. It's the end of the cold, damp rental home era in New Zealand. The government has introduced new legislations to upgrade rental property standards and turn them into healthy homes. Since then it's been phased in slowly, so it's been quite a lengthy process to get to where we are. There are still a lot of faults, aren't there? Like, what are the faults that we're seeing at the moment? A new Plymouth solo mum whose three kids are camping out in the living room to avoid their cold, damp and mouldy bedrooms is dismayed her rental passed to Healthy Homes Inspection. This despite the property manager conceding the bedrooms need major renovations to bring them up to scratch. Well, I guess the problem would be is that, you know, it was a long process to get what they got through into law, if you like. And so they're essentially the bare minimum set of standards in, in the areas that they cover. 
they're not perfect in that sense. And within within certain standards, there's also a lot of different levels and different sort of formulas and calculations and criteria that you need to meet. And that also can be difficult and confusing and not um, perfect for some properties. Some properties that are falling through the cracks in the legislation. Here's Adam Gordon, co-director of All Clear, talking about the exemptions to healthy homes. So probably the key exemptions that apply to um, all five categories is three. Um, there's a body corporate or partial ownership scenario. So that's obviously quite common in, in the big centres um, where it's a body corporate or other partial ownership. So basically under the Unit Titles Act. So that, the logic there is if you're not the owner of the entire building and other owners of the building aren't going to provide their consent to do whatever it is that needs to be done, you have an exemption for that. So that's probably the most common. That's quite a big deal. It's significant. I mean, think apartment blocks, think developments, townhouses, terraced houses. Um, so there is a, a, an exemption under the, I think it's Regulation 31 off the top of my head, um, across all five categories. So that means that if you live in an apartment, your house, your house might not have to be up to standard? It, there, potentially. If it's something that the body corp would have to approve and the body corp isn't going to approve it, then um, the owner may be exempt for all five categories. <laughs> and there are also exemptions for, say, demolitions or renovations? Uh, so that falls under the category of um, demolition or substantially rebuilt. Yeah. So explain. So basically the way that works is if the building is um, planned to be demolished in, a, in, a, in the foreseeable future and you can demonstrate that by way of you know, council approvals, um, you may be exempt from health, the Healthy Homes Compliance standards. That's only for 12 months, by the way. The expectation is you would be able to prove that that uh, was happening, so the demolition was occurring, and you would be able to substantiate that it was happening in the appropriate time frame. So it's only going to give you a, you know, if it doesn't happen, then you may then require, you may then turn out that you have to comply with the standards. And what if you're a tenant and you have problems with the home? That gets even more complicated. Here's Miriam Bell again. With new tenancy or renewed tenancy agreements, that the, the landlord has to include information about the rental property's current level of compliance. So if you if you are going into a tenancy or you are renewing it, you're supposed to be presented with that information. You have the right to ask for it to to understand how compliant it is. But uh, you have to know that. So. Yeah, and if you've been in the rental for a while and the standards have got to be upgraded, how do you make sure the standards are met there? I guess um, because there is that timeline phase in whereby you know, long-term existing rentals have longer to be compliant, you'll have to ask the landlord to do the work and hope that they do, I guess. Or if it's seriously, seriously an issue, you, could, you can go to... TASIS, which is the tenancy services outfit that looks into um, sort of issues with tenancies, and that's that's one of the areas that they look at. Can you also go to the tenancy tribunal as well? Yes, you can. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, how would tenants feel about having to go to the tenancy tribunal? Well, you know, obviously that's quite a difficult undertaking, um, and especially especially if you're you're not certain of what your what you're entitled to and how it all works. I, I had a figure somewhere from Renters United last year, I think it was, which said that about 18% of tenants who did go to the tribunal with compliance breach issues in this area, only about 18% of them got some form of compliance or remedies for a breach. So it, that would be daunting. Well, I think there probably needs to be a push um, in New Zealand towards professional property management. I see that, that, that being part of the solution 
for sure. Um, you know, the, the vast majority of pro- um, property managers that we work with are very, very good at what they do. They understand the legislation, they understand pr- the process, and they are very good at communicating that to owners. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, because my understanding is it's only about 40%. It's not only, even that. It's not, about 30-something. Yeah. 30-something percent of properties, rental properties in New Zealand, are property managed. Yeah. In Australia, it's, it's about 70 or it's something? It's about 70 or 80%. Yeah, it's what the complete the inverse between Australia and New Zealand. And the weird thing there is, you know, New Zealand and Australian cultures are similar in terms of that DIY mentality. So maybe there's a, an impression there for owners that, you know, the only way to do it is to manage it yourself. And then there's there's the cost savings around management fees. But really, if you when you consider all of the risks and all the potential um, fish hooks and downsides, it just doesn't make sense. What about if we just added more standards and made them a bit more thorough? Well, I think that's, um, you know, there's been discussions over the years around Healthy Homes 2.0, obviously with a potential change in government, you know, who knows whether that will ever come to fruition. There's been talk about, you know, mould considerations, there's been talk about hot water temperature, there's been talk about energy efficiency in terms of light bulbs and uh, externally vented dryers. There's been talk about all of that sort of stuff for potentially Healthy Homes 2.0, but who knows whether that will ever see the light of day. The other things are curtains are exempt from healthy homes. Not, doesn't form part of healthy homes at all. It is contemplated in the Residential Tenancies Act, but um, it doesn't form part of healthy homes. What about something like the Greens were in a fitness? Well, the thing I, so I briefly read um, some of their, I guess it was their policy statement on it, and I, you know, I think what they were referring to as letting councils manage it, that would be a mistake. Uh, and in my view, councils can't even manage public toilets and, and uh, you know wastewater infrastructure. So how are they going to manage six hundred and fifty thousand rental properties for compliance? I just you know, you know there's three month delays for building inspections for new builds. So I don't really see how they're going to. I just I just don't see that as practical. There is some reason to be optimistic though. Miriam Bell says new builds have to meet the standards. New Zealand has been building at quite a high rate in recent years, you know, compared to recent decades. And although the construction industry has slowed down a bit, I guess you have to hope that that building continues and that that's the momentum towards creating new stock, which is more compliant with, with the sort of way we'd like our homes to be. Um, you just have to hope that continues. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Miriam Bell and Brendan Young and Adam Gordon from All Clear. Ka kite anō.